Greetings, Sci-Fi Universe. Owen Cotter here. Join me, your host, as we discuss all things geek chic and out of this world on Sci-Fiction Radio, your galactic transmission portal to all things science fiction and beyond. In this show, I'll be talking with Pete of 8-Bit Central. Hold on while Pete joins us here shortly. Pete, you there? Oh, hi. Yep. Uh, hi, how are you doing today? Welcome to the show, man. How's it going with you? Oh, pretty good. Good stuff, man. Fantastic. Well, let's get things started here. For the listeners, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what it is you do? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, Pete from 8-Bit Central, which is a retro gaming website uh, that I created uh, a few years ago. I was pretty much motivated by... Uh, I really went around the web and could always find those really great three-quarter product shots of of all the uh, old game consoles that I love, but you could never really find detailed photos. So I decided that I'd just take out all my consoles and just start photographing them from every angle I could find and see if I couldn't cobble together some sort of a website. And over time, I got quite a few up there, and uh, it's gotten a pretty good response so far. Yeah, you have a great site, man. I was looking at it. It's pretty cool. Now, for people that don't know much about the topic of retro gaming, can you exactly explain like, what's considered retro in general? Um, sure. Really, retro gaming is kind of a segment of the overall video gaming landscape, and it really you know, consists of the older games out there. Personally, I'm an Atari fan and grew up with the Atari 2600, but a lot of other people got into it uh, with the NES and... I still find people that uh, got into gaming with the PS2, which astonishes me at my age, but uh, people come into this sort of thing, and really the big debate is, you know, what is retro gaming, and some people sort of target, like, a system or a time frame, and we've just sort of said that anything that's 20 years or older is retro gaming, and sort of leave it at that. Very cool. So, like, you said 20 years or older, so, like, would you consider the PS2 retro, or would that be kind of out of the range of that, or... Well, yeah, I mean, it gets really complicated because, you know, sometimes, I mean, some of my favorite games on the PS2 are the Midway Arcade Classics. It's a trio of games that are old arcade ports uh, from uh, mm. the 80s. So, you know, it's kind of, to me, it's a very loose sort of a thing. But basically, if you're playing the GameCube, you're probably not retro gaming per se. But we just sort of drew a line at 20 years and kind of left it there because it's kind of an easy mark to uh, to figure Right, right, yeah. I know they have, uh, was it a Namco Museum, which is kind of like that. Now, I know retro gaming is pretty popular these days, so much in fact they're like reproducing me in the systems in form of those flashback style consoles. Curious as yeah, your thoughts on the, yeah, so curious as your thoughts on these new reproduction systems. I was curious, like, what, based off the originals, what are your thoughts on those? I'm sorry, I couldn't quite hear you. Could you repeat that? I was saying, curious as your thoughts on the uh, the flashback style console reproductions that are based off the originals, like the Coleco, the Atari, and stuff right, like that. Right, right. Okay, sure. Yeah, um, it really all started with the Atari flashback, and I think that we're sort of waiting for the Atari flashback 5 to come out, perhaps this holiday season or so, but it's pretty much been an Atari thing. But then earlier in the year, started hearing people talking about an Intellivision flashback and a ColecoVision flashback, and essentially they're just uh, sort of... Um, miniature replicas of the original consoles that basically just run ROMs inside it, so it's really uh, it's really not uh, sort of suitable for actually playing anything other than the games that are built into it, and they usually come with anywhere from like 60 to 90 games or so, 
And actually, the one exception is the Sega one. There's a Sega Genesis um, flashback-style console, and it actually has a cartridge port on it, which is pretty cool. So if you were a Genesis fan, have any old carts, you can pop them in and play them along with the built-in game. So that's pretty cool. But by and large, you're uh, relegated to uh, what they give you, and they're really not modifiable. Oh, wow. So the Sega one actually has the ability to put in the old Genesis. I did not even... Wow. That's pretty darn cool. Yeah, it's got a real cartridge port on it. The other ones have faux ports that look good, and you kind of want to put a card in them, but just doesn't happen. <laughs> mm. Well, you talked about uh, emulators, you know, I mean, our ROMs. Can you talk about emulators and explain what they are exactly and how they work? Sure. That's actually a really big sticking point with a lot of uh, retro gamers, and it kind of separates the purists from the others. Um, essentially, the emulation is really just you know playing games on your computer. You have a software program that would run just like you know, Word, Photoshop, or anything else. It's just the application you launch, and the files that you run with it are called ROM files, and each ROM file consists of a game, and they're really out there for pretty much all the systems as well as the uh, arcade games. So you might have a different emulator that plays like Atari 2600 and another to play NES, and you can use MAME to play the arcade ones. And uh, so you can really play pretty much anything on the uh, on your computer, which is... I think it's a really cool thing, but a lot of the purists say, you know, if you're not using the original hardware, it's not retro gaming, and I don't really <laughs> agree with that myself, but... Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with... I like the ROMs. I've actually played around with some of those with uh, the... Uh, there was a... I forget the name of it, but there was a specific software that you could use. It was for NES and Super Nintendo, and it was like a... It was pretty cool. Now, there are oh, a lot yeah. of handheld... Yeah, I always really like ROMs, and those are pretty... Now, there are a lot of handheld consoles that have come out over the past few decades. Many people, like, you know, remember ones like Game Boy by Nintendo and stuff. Just curious, what are some of the other handhelds you think people might enjoy that fit into the uh, retro arena? Um, to be honest, I really love the Atari Lynx, because, again, I'm a huge Atari fanatic, but it really was ahead of its time. It uh, had two-player options. The screen could go... You could rotate the screen for each of the players, or it could be like a right and left-handed thing, depending on how you wanted to play it, but it had a, it was a really nice setup, it had good sound, a good library of games, and mm. it really, I think it was probably ahead of its time, and, you know, way back then, I don't really know the pricing, but it was probably pretty costly versus some of the other options out there. Mm. Was that 8-bit or 16-bit? I know, I thought they made two different birds, or am I wrong on that? Um, no, they, there was a, a Lynx 2, to be honest. I'm really not sure. I mean, the, definitely the first one was a uh, an 8-bit system. Mm. Yeah, you know, I heard about the... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, what's that? Yeah. So I was curious, as another handheld system, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's by NAC called the Turbo Graphics Express. Have you ever heard of that one? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I always thought that system was ahead of its time as it had, like, the little uh, Hue card technology which was, like, for portable gaming cards. Pretty neat. I always thought that was Yeah, I think system. it also had a TV tuner option to it as well and some other That's right. Things. That's yeah. right. And uh, Sega adapted that eventually down. I forgot about that. That's true. Well, the gaming industry has grown to immense proportions. Not like, in my opinion, is one of the biggest industries in the world today. Based on current trends with gaming being so popular and the advancement in modern graphics, Curious as to why you think people are still attracted to like the older consoles, such as the 8-bit or the 16-bit. I think a lot of it has to do with uh, sort of your childhood memories of that first video game console you played with. Um, mm. These days, you know, so many gamers really, you know, 
commit you don't hear of too many 40-year-old gamers that just suddenly on a whim just went out and, you know, bought a Wii U or a PS4 or yeah. something and got into it. You know, most times, you know, gamers whether they're, you know, really diehard on the uh, Gen 8 systems that are out now, chances are they probably started with a system, you know, when they were kids and I think, you know, at a certain point in your life you sort of get nostalgic for that sort of thing and uh that's pretty much where I fit into it. I mean, I really love modern games. I have found a lot that I think are a lot of fun, and but I still love the uh, the old games as well. Mm. And there are actually some yeah, interesting ties between them. We were uh, recently at an arcade, and we are playing, um, what is it, Snowcross, one of these, uh, you know, sit-on kind of a things, a uh, snowmobile-type game. And at the end, the QR code came up saying, hey, share your favorite, your high score with uh, Facebook and so forth. And I was like, hmm. That's interesting. I've never seen that before. So I snapped a picture of it and went home, did a little research to figure out, you know, you know, who are these guys and what what are they about? And it's made by a company called Raw Thrills. And apparently, Eugene Jarvis, who you know back in the day created Defender and Robotron, is one of the founders of Raw Thrills. So you know, I'm sitting in this modern arcade, looking at a 42-inch uh, LED screen or LCD screen, whatever the thing is, and discovering that uh, it's the company run by the guy who created one of my favorite games from the 80s. So. <laughs> There's always a lot of tie-ins and throwbacks to retro, even if you're looking at the modern stuff. Wow. So they actually had the ability to share it. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. You didn't even know about yeah. that. Yeah, well, so I just threw up a blog post about it, because one of the things that was really very disturbing about it is that they had all these leaderboards for all the different games that were made under uh, Raw Thrills, but when you share mm-hmm. it, it goes to a page that just looks dreadful. I mean, no one's going to share something that looks like that. It was uh, basically a database dump from a forum, probably, and there was this black text on a white screen, like 10 pages of stuff, and, you know, didn't really do much, you know, because if you're going to be sharing the stuff, the cool part is that the arcade operator can put in their information so it can read out on the leaderboard saying, you know, you know, player XYZ, whoever your name was, was playing, you know, this game at such and such an arcade located in the city. So, you know, there's a whole lot of uh, uh, propagation of information and a lot of good, you know, social networking that can be done there, but the page looks terrible, so who's going to bother sharing that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with you on that. There's like, she said, like, you mentioned that location. Is that geo? I know Facebook uses geotagging. Are they geotagging those high scores, like where you're actually physically playing? That's kind of unusual. I'm not sure. To be honest, the uh, I know Snowcross is a networkable game, and they had two of them networked together, and I think you can put eight together in all, but I'm guessing mm-hmm. you just can probably throw it onto a router because it has to throw the information back to a central database somewhere, and I don't think the arcade operator cares or wants to be bothered with that sort of a mess. So I'm guessing it's probably just got a net connection from the location. Wow, that's interesting. That's an interesting point you bring up because I really want to dig into that a little bit more and find out that's kind of an interesting facet of it because even like some, you know, some places are starting to think about maybe converting over to uh, a lot of them have those swipe cards you can do now, but some are thinking about Bitcoin. And, you know, Bitcoin Mm -hmm. is sort of like a peer-to-peer thing. So each machine in the arcade, if you're trying to use Bitcoin, has to have its own sort of like central, you know, network thing. So it's kind of interesting to see how something like Snowcross fits in when you're talking about putting a lot of like Bitcoin machines into an arcade. Yeah, I've heard about the Bitcoin beanies. I thought that was very fascinating. I know they've, uh, that's what I can always joke around with people. It's like a digital Mario coin. <laughs> yeah, but, right. Uh, uh-huh. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. I was just curious, you've got all these mobile phones, smartphones, they're all advanced now, and they've got these app stores. Curious as your thoughts on the games that are being played on the smartphones. And as a follow-up, do you have any particular game applications that you'd recommend to people to check out? Um... I'm really torn on that one, you know, because it's, um, 
Well, I, I was one of the backers on that whole ooyah thing, and really one of the appeals of that was that they're taking sort of the, the quickness and agility of mobile development and kind of pointing it back at the TV. Because to me, mm-hmm. I want to play on a big screen. I mean, you know, you have a tablet, and I have one of these phablet things that's, you know, bigger than your average cell phone, and it's a nice size screen for some things, but really gaming to me should be on a big screen. So I'm not a huge fan of... Uh, of the mobile gaming stuff, but there certainly are some that are out there that are fun, and there's certainly some retro-type games, everything from, you know, like Atari's Greatest Hits kind of a thing that actually has the, uh, you know, old games like Asteroids and Missile Command and stuff, uh, all the way through other games that really just sort of follow that kind of 8-bit model and just kind of have the look and feel of it. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of options out there, but I'm just not a yeah. big fan. But if I had to pick one studio, there are these uh, guys, I want to I say they're in St. Louis, called Happy Badgers, and they create really cool stuff. They do both sort of modern games, and they also do uh, some sort of retro-inspired games, and I think they're really cool mm-hmm. and do some good stuff, so if I recommend something, uh, those guys are pretty cool. They're called Happy Badgers? Yep, Happy Badger Studios. Oh, cool, that's pretty neat. I know, I know you like to talk about the, uh, the tablet devices. You've got like the iPad, the Kindle, and all that. I know, I know some of them even hook up to, like, external accessories like uh, joysticks controllers. What are your thoughts on, like, the tablets, uh, a little bit elaborating on being used and applied to the gaming world with all these little accessories and all that? Well, again, I'm it's, I'm not a huge fan, to be honest, because mm-hmm. the problem is that it's hard to make something like that. I mean, the real arcade equipment is, like, very robust, and you can really beat on it, and it, it can take mm-hmm. a good beating in a public... Uh, you know, thing whether it's in a being babysat in an arcade or just being abused in a laundromat somewhere. You know, arcade machines were built well. The problem is, at the right price point, it's very difficult to build something robust that will work with a tablet. And I don't know. I just feel as though it's sort of a "Honey, I Shrunk the Kids" kind of a thing. And like I'm playing with this tiny joystick, and just not my thing. Gotcha. Yeah, I agree with the old consoles and uh, even the old handhelds. Something like the Game Boy, you could drop that thing a thousand times like a tank. You know, like like oh, the yeah. old. Uh, mm-hmm. That's yeah, pretty I think cool. Yeah, they had system. one at the uh, Nintendo store in New York that uh, um, I don't recall the exact scenario, but it definitely went through a fire. There was barely anything left of it, but it was running. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, I saw something on the internet. I don't know. If, I guess it's real. They had it in one of those uh, video game museums, but it was a. Uh, something that got hit by a bomb or something like a war zone and it was still working. It was all charred up, but the, it still yeah. worked. That, yeah, that, that's, probably, that's probably the one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I know they made a lot of consoles of various sorts that weren't as popular or had like the time to evolve their array games and stuff. Like, you know, you had the Sega Dreamcast, which I, I actually think was a really cool concept. In your opinion, what are some consoles that you think like were underrated but still have cool things to offer for people to explore? Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely the Dreamcast is one of them. Um, I think really the the Atari 5200 was uh, largely ignored because the joysticks were pretty horrible and it just had a really small game library. But uh, some of the games on it were really a lot of fun. Hmm. Is it, uh, what games were on that? Were they the same games as the other ones, or were they newer ones, or ones that, which ones were they uh, that were fun? Uh, they, they had both arcade ports and updates to other games that had been on the 2600, as well as some original games that were unique to the platform itself. Oh, very cool. That's pretty neat. I just heard, I don't know if you heard about this, but they, uh, I think they, uh, there was an, a game for the uh, movie E.T., and they went out to the uh, the desert. Uh, did you uh, hear about that? 
I sat in front of my computer that day in, in, what was it, May or April when they did it, and I just watched the social media feeds as people were posting pictures, and I was just, I sat there like I was in an IMAX theater just in awe <laughs> of what was going on. <laughs> I mean, it, it even surprised me. I mean, I mean, when this guy came like running up the hill with this thing like, hey, we found it, and all the <laughs> stuff, I mean, you know, I was just like teary-eyed. I was like, oh my God, that stuff really is there. That's that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I couldn't believe that when I saw it. Like, they were digging and digging and digging. Then they came up with an actual uh, cartridge with it with the uh, the little uh, the sleeve or whatever the case. I was like, geez, man. And there was, uh, I believe, hundreds of thousands of those dumped out there. Am I correct on that? Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to say it's somewhere in, like, the 700,000. I mean, people for a while were saying that it was just millions of ET cartridges, and Atari's demise was that they made all these cartridges that, you know, hadn't sold, but, you know, Atari was one of the fastest growing companies at the time of its uh, heyday, and mm. they did some things that were kind of questionable, but overall, a pretty smart company, and they weren't the sort of people that were going to create more games than they had an install base of hardware for. I mean, mm. you know, people aren't going to love E.T. and go out and buy five copies. If they think yeah. it's a good game, they'll buy one copy, you know? So, I mean, right. they didn't make three million copies. And there, weren't, there were actually a lot of games out there. Some were, they found some hardware out there. They found a couple of 5,200 games and a bunch of different 2,600 games. So, basically, it was true they dumped stuff, but they really dumped quite an array of stuff that were really just sort of getting rid of a warehouse. Mm. So, basically, they just they just liquidated it and just dumped it in a, a garbage. Did you, did you say there was other games they found out there? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, there there are I think about thirty different titles. Wow, wow. Yeah, I mean, well, talk- I mean they came up with they were pulling out cases like shipping cases yeah. full of the ET game, the kind that would have been shipped out to retail stores. So, you know, there was wow. a rumor that everything had been crushed and there's a cement cap and this that and the other, and that doesn't seem mm-hmm. to be true. They just like threw it in a hole and took off. Jeez, wow, that's kind of like waste. I mean, I know the I heard the game was kind of like not that great or great at all, but I mean, that's kind of a waste. You know, all those products. Well, that that's there's... one of the ones that. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying that you know if you're into the em- emulators and stuff, that's a game you definitely mm-hmm. want to fire up and give a try because the people are such lemmings about saying that that's the worst game ever. I mean, from like news mm-hmm. anchors on these tiny stations to CNN and all the, everyone just repeats the same thing, the worst game ever. It is by mm-hmm. far not the worst game ever. <laughs> well, I've never played it. One of the interesting things sort of when you think about video game history is mm. I really never enjoyed history in school, always hated it, but I really always loved video game history. And it mm. really, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that the bulk of it has happened during my lifetime. And there's such intricate information out there because all these people are still around. And actually the mm. guy who uh, created E.T. was actually on site there for the dig, and he actually created Yar's Revenge, which is actually one of the top-selling games on the 2600. And the odd thing about it is it wasn't based on anything. It was actually a failed attempt at Star Castle, I believe, but he came up with Yar's Revenge, and it's just an, like an indie title, and it took off. People loved it. So, you know, you never know. People, you know, blame him for making E.T. and the worst game ever, and that's just a lot of nonsense from people who just haven't ever played the game. <laughs> so you actually, it seems like you've played the game. You have, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. I cool. try to play everything. And one of the other nice things about ROMs is it really gives you the opportunity to play things that you might not have the opportunity to because a lot of games uh, were, came out as like promos or all mm-hmm. kinds of di- under different scenarios because really like 
at the time I bought my 2600, I bought it in an appliance store. So I was surrounded by washers, dryers, refrigerators and stuff, and they yanked the 2600 off of a shelf up in the rafters for me. And so people didn't really know what to do with these things. They didn't really know what it was. So there wasn't any sort of standardized way of you know distributing. It wasn't like it was always in like the toy section or something like that. So people just came out with you know all kinds of wacky ways to promote themselves and sell games. There's the Chase the Chuck Wagon that came out from the Purina dog food people, and you know, it's really hard to find that cart, and it's insanely expensive. I mean, it's like probably up there around a mortgage payment. And, wow. you know, I think uh, ROMs are a really nice way for people who are into that sort of thing and just want to check it out and see what it's all about can do so. Yeah. So, and plus they're homebrews, you know. I mean, people are still programming games, original games, for the Atari 2600. And, right. you know, ROMs are a great way to experience some of that. Right. Well, I have a question. Speaking of cartridge gaming, if we talked about E.T. and stuff, like, you know, actual physical cartridges, what are your opinions on these, uh, like, you've got these, like, almost like video game stores that you digitally downloaded and there's no physical copy. What, what are your thoughts on that? Scares the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like buying anything. You know, the sort of the retail experience is you go to the store, you buy something, you leave the store with what you bought, and you mm. got it in your hand. And, I mean, I think uh, when I bought a Wii and now I have a uh, 2DS, so I'm, I've been, you know, have a little bit of experience with uh, Nintendo's eShop and that kind of a thing. But it's kind of an mm. odd thing because, I mean, one, Nintendo has handled it kind of poorly in the sense that, you can't move things from machine to machine, so you know all these things that right. happen on my Wii when that thing finally dies, they're just they go with it, <laughs> so I lose all the mm-hmm. games. And you know if I want to, I can buy a Wii U and I guess re-download them at uh, you know the same expense that I did before. So it's I don't know that's really the thing I don't like, and it, it really extends to movies and music too. This whole cloud thing, you know, I buy something, mm-hmm. I want to own it. I mean, if I can store it in the cloud and enjoy it on my phone when I'm out on the go. That's fine, but give me the CD, <laughs> you know, in terms right. of like in music and, you know, even and with movies, you know, I, I just want to be able to pull it out and watch my favorite movies whenever I want to. I mean, Netflix sounds really cool, but every month there's this really, you know, you'll see a post somewhere where they say, if you like these hundred movies, watch them quick because they're disappearing. It's like, whoa, you know, my favorite movie just disappeared. Now I can't watch it. And so, you know, it's sort of the sense of ownership is you have something that you can play whenever you want. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I agree and, with you, you know, on that. Sort of true of like network games. When you're talking about, you know, some of these MMO things that you know run off gigantic server farms. Well, what happens when the company gets a little tired of it? The revenue's not that much, isn't as good as they want, and they're like, eh, you know, we're just going to cut our losses and they shut it down. You know, all of a sudden, wow. you can't play that game, and that kind of irritates right. me because I come from the background of, you know, I can whip out Berserk and play it on my 2600. And I know it's the copy that I bought when I was 13, <laughs> and I can still play it. And that's pretty awesome. But that's uh, part of this whole digital thing is that's going to go away. Yeah, so I agree with you I wish they put some type of a uh, – I know you have to upgrade it depending on how many games you downloaded, uh, uh, of like a flash card or a uh, stick that you could put into the portable games and even maybe the consoles. But, I mean, that, of course, it can break down as well. Now, we've talked a lot about the various consoles and arcade games. Just curious, as, like, you've got all these accessories that have come out over the years to accompany these systems, and you've got, like, memorable ones, like the Power Glove, and in my opinion, there's a little gem called the Game Boy Camera. I'm not sure if you know that. Just curious, what are a few of your favorite accessories that you think people would enjoy? Um, let's see. Actually, one that I... Uh 
that I, I think got lost in one of my moves, perhaps, but it was actually a sort of a, a balance board-like thing for the NES, and I bought mm. it when uh, some of the skateboard games, like uh, Town and Country on the 720 and stuff like that came out. So I thought it would be kind of fun to you know actually stand on something that was sort of skateboardish and try to play the game. I mean, the problem, I mean, that thing was just, like, frightfully dangerous. They wouldn't ever release anything like that today because, you know, people would go sailing off and hit their head on the coffee table and sue the manufacturer. So, you know, you right. can't have stuff. But they made uh, some crazy stuff like that. I, I wish I hadn't lost that thing. And let's see. I, I didn't get too many of the accessories. Actually, not too long ago, I bought a power glove just because I felt at this stage of my life I really should own one. But uh, I've never really used it, but it's kind of it's a lot of fun to, to have. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you. A lot of people are using that as a fashion accessory on music videos and just in general, I've noticed with that. Have you heard of a, uh, a product, I believe it was by Nintendo, called Rob? It was like a little robot. Just curious. I don't really know much about that, but what did it do exactly? Was it like a target yeah, game? It was, uh, that, that was sort of uh, an attempt probably trying to make something better than what it was, but it was, they were more... Hmm. To me, I would, they're like kiddie games that come with I think I believe there were three games that were actually dedicated to it, and mm. none of them were any good, but they're all dependent on it. So it was sort of if you had Rob, that was cool. If not, then uh, don't bother. But basically, it was basic, through the game, you were programming the robot to do different things. They're sort of puzzle kind of things as far as I know, mm. but I don't have one of those and don't know a whole lot about it. Yeah, that would be cool if they could include, like, Tetris. I remember that was the original Game Boy cartridge and it came in the original one back in the 80s. That would have been kind of cool to play around with, maybe with uh, a robot. Now, they got the Zapper. Didn't they have, I believe there was a Zapper also for one of the Atari games. Did you play any of the uh, targeting games for the original Atari Zapper guns or any of that? No, no, I never never had one of those. That's I think one cool. of the ones I really liked was the one that was built into a, a helmet. And you sort of wore this, like, sort of bike helmet-looking thing where you could sort of bobble your head around and aim at things on the screen. You know, again, that was sort of like that neck injury thing. That, you know, you can't have that today because everyone's too uh, legally oriented. Someone gets sued fast on that. <laughs> who made Who made that? Curious. I've never heard about that. Um, I'm not sure to be honest. I've uh, I saw one not too long ago online and came across it, and I don't recall who mm. the manufacturer was. Again, it was one of these things that was very sort of novelty oriented and had you know one or two games that would function with it. Right, right. That's pretty neat. Though. I never heard about that. Well, are there any systems, curious, that have ever really, that excuse me, never really made it into the production phase that you would have liked to like seen created? And if so, what might those be? Uh, well, you know, it's interesting because you know you always hear of these people that, you know, their long lost uncle used to work at X Y Z company, and he has mm -hmm. this purple box that everyone thinks was going to be the sequel to something. And you know, a lot of these are prototypes where they had one or two of them, and it's kind of hard to say what was real and what was coming out. So I don't know a whole lot about those, but uh, they're highly sought after. <laughs> uh, well, they had what was, uh, before they went mainstream with the CDs and stuff, they had something called the, uh, was by Sega, the 332X drive or something like that. Yeah, I think the uh, the CD add-on that uh, went with the, uh, I guess it was, uh, it was an add-in to the uh, Genesis. Mm-hmm. So it would fit into the 16-bit uh, cartridge slot and then basically convert that into a 32-bit uh, CD drive. Is that what that is? That what that is? 
Yeah, yeah. It's basically the cartridge ports on a lot of the old consoles was really the only sort of conduit to getting into the machine. So when you made an accessory that wasn't really controller oriented, you pretty much had to go through the uh, game port mm -hmm. and then usually supply another game port to uh, play the games on once you'd uh, gotten in there. I mean, it's sort of the same thing. The uh, Jaguar came out with the CD that kind of sat on top of the unit and used the cartridge port to uh, pump the uh, CD games through it. Right, I remember the Atari. That was by that was uh, the Atari. Uh, that was not that popular, from what I remember. I don't think, right? No, outside of me and my friends, it was not very popular. Those <laughs> mm. well, those around well, the time. It was an amazing oh. time because it was so great to go to a retail store and see Atari products just sitting on all the shelves. It was right. really an astounding thing, having never, you know, not seen anything with an Atari logo on it for you know, you know, almost decades at that point. <laughs> mm. Other than N64, I remember when they came out with that, you know, they had the 2-bit uh, uh, PlayStation 1, which is not the little one, but, you know, the original PlayStation, the big chunky yeah. one. Mm -hmm. I, I remember I remember a lot of friends, like, they'd always, like, I went and got the PlayStation. I, and I eventually got the Nintendo, too. But I remember when I got the PlayStation, people were, oh, 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 this is not good. But I realized that the PlayStation was the first, you know, the system I never had that first off ran CDs, but also uh, you know, what you, like had really good games spread out over a wide range of titles, and except like you know the Mario and all. What's your opinion on on that that arena? I mean, did you first get the PlayStation or did you first get the N64? Or what are your thoughts on that type of topic? Um, yeah, actually, I got the uh, the PlayStation was the uh, first uh, CD game CD based thing I'd ever owned, and mm. I loved it because I I came from the computer industry and you know knew that you know. In terms of storage, really, CD was king at that time, and you could put a lot of stuff on a CD if you're just, you know, backing up your hard drive or what have you. So the thought of, you know, how much gaming content could you put on a disc that would go in there is just like, wow, that's really cool. Plus, it played CDs, so you knew it was really the same format. It wasn't some janky thing that was kind of, you know, sort of a knockoff technology. I mean, it really was, you know, it was CD compatible, and you're using, you know, the games came on the CDs, so that was pretty cool. Mm. Well, this is speaking of CD, that came out. You know, the uh, the the PlayStation came out before the N64, which is interesting because right. you know everyone was really starting to ditch the cartridge model, and Nintendo came out with another cartridge game, which was uh, pretty cool because uh, I think they're a lot faster. <laughs> mm, games true. may not have been quite as robust based on how much you could fit on there, but you know when the system first comes out, no one really knows how to program for it, so the games get better over time. Mm. Well, I was just curious, right before we get ready to end the show, there's a system, I don't know if you're familiar with, it was by Philips Magdebach, speaking on the same topic as the CD, it was called the uh, CDI. It also, like, uh, revolutionized, it was kind of like a prototype, and like, I believe, for DVDs, because it could also play movies. Curious, have you ever, like, seen that or played that, or what are your experiences no, with I, that? I've, I've heard of it, but I've never seen or played it. Don't Don't really know much about that one. Yeah, I've actually I tried it. came out around the same era as like the 3DO, which was another uh, CD-based thing right. that uh, didn't really catch on. Right. Yeah, that thing was. I've, I've tried it, and it was like years before the PlayStation came out. And I, it was a, a 3D golf game. It was really impressive. For uh, I wish they'd uh, expanded that. I knew it could play huh. movies. Uh, I remember going to a Magnavox store, and they're closing all the Magnavox stores around the area. And I went in there yeah. and. Uh, I never knew it could play DVDs, uh, like a prototype of DVDs. But it was pretty, like you said, that storage medium for the uh, the discs is pretty interesting format too. Uh, and then of course they have the Blu-rays and all that. Now. 
Well, yeah. before we end the show, is there any website links or any information that you'd like to give out to the listeners to find out more about the uh, the world of retro gaming and your various projects? Um, sure. I mean, I'm always happy to push my own site if I could. It's uh, oh, yeah. it's eight hyphen bit central, so it's eight bit central dot com, and there's a hyphen between the eight and the bit, so there's a number eight hyphen bit central dot com. And Very anyone cool. will stop by there. I'd greatly appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, hit me up Twitter on Twitter. All my social media links yeah. and stuff are on there, so you can hit me up through that as well. Always happy to chat with other gamers. Very cool, very cool. Well, Pete, it was great having you on the show, man, and you seem like you're very knowledgeable. I really enjoy talking with you on uh, the gaming topics. Oh, yeah, and I had a lot of fun. I'm really glad you uh, contacted me and uh, got me to come on. It's uh, been a lot well, of fun. Most welcome, man. You take care, buddy. Okay, you too. This is Owen Cotter thanking you for listening to Sci Fiction Radio. Don't forget to visit our website at www.scifiction.com.